welcome family, friends, and new friends to our podcast, They Actually Survived. I'm your host, Selena. And I'm your co-host, Andy. So today, I'm going to be talking about a guy that was lost at sea, essentially. Um, maybe I won't say the number of days, so, so it'll be a surprise <laughs> to everybody, but for a very, very long time. So we'll, see, we'll keep it at that. I almost, I almost feel like we need to have some board on the side of like all the stories about people lost in FC, how many days they were out for, and other extenuating circumstances. Yeah, we do have a lot of ocean stories for sure, but like we've said before, ocean's big. Yeah, ocean's big, <laughs> ocean's scary, and very dangerous. Lots of travel happens. Yeah, exactly. So, and then your story. So I got a guy, a fisherman who's lost at sea, and then your story is going to be about a professional hockey player who gets uh, sliced by an ice skate during the game. I cannot wait for this one. I'm so, <laughs> it, just even hearing about it, I don't know anything about it, just that part, but just hearing about yeah. that gets my heart beating like, Jesus, that is scary. <laughs> All right, well, I, I think we want to go with yours first because I think yours is, sounds sure. so interesting and exciting and scary. Talk about a roller coaster, sure. man. So, yeah, let's go with yours first. <laughs> so uh, this is the story of Clint Mallerchuk, and it happens on March twenty second, nineteen eighty nine. And I, I, I do need to uh, kind of express some uh, lack of knowledge on this. This is hockey. I, I don't follow any sports really, and hockey is probably the ones I know the least about. But we're gonna cover briefly the National Hockey League, known as the NHL and the American Hockey League, the AHL. For the most part, there's not too much difference between them. The NHL is the big leagues, if you want to think about it that way. That's your Super Bowl. That's where the real uh, majority, the lion's share of the money goes to. Um, and the American Hockey League is kind of a, another league where they kind of um, players kind of get traded back and forth between it. Uh, they refer to the American Hockey League as where players go to develop. And the National Hockey League is where they're... Uh, experience tried and true they've got what it takes they, they've been through it many times they they know how to read the game yeah nhl i believe would be national is, <laughs> is pros the other yeah. guys is just a step below pros i would say like still developing yeah, yeah. yeah. right so clint mallerchuk began playing junior hockey in 1978 for the portland winter hawks at the age of 17 over the next three years Clint worked his way through the American Hockey League until his debut in the National Hockey League in December of 1981. Clint would play for the Nordics going against the Buffalo Sabres after having just turned 20. His performances garnered mixed results and he was traded back to playing in the AHL. Over the next few years, Clint would go between playing for the NHL and AHL teams and eight years later, Clint would be playing in the NHL, this time for the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, he's now playing for the team that he originally debuted against at the NHL. Now, March 22nd, 1989, in a game against the St. Louis Blues, two players would collide into each other and slam into Clint's goalie position. In the collision, the ice skate of one of the players pierces Clint's neck, leaving a six-inch wound, having sliced his carotid artery and partially his jugular vein oh my vein. god so this was serious 
Yeah, so we, we got to cover a little bit of anatomy now. I've always heard of the jugular. Go for the jugular. Go for the jugular. I've always heard about uh, the carotid yeah, artery. Yeah, these are the finishers. Uh, the, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, exactly. That's the context I've always heard them in. Specifically, the carotid artery is responsible for taking blood from your heart up to your head. It's an artery. These are these are the the serious pipelines in your body. These I've heard it described as the the artery pumps blood at high pressure through your body. The veins, on the other hand, pump blood at lower pressure. So whenever you nick an artery, it's very serious because your blood is pumping, soaring through that. Whereas a vein, not as bad, but a jugular is important because of its location. The jugular vein is responsible for taking blood down out from your head. It's taking deoxygenated uh, de blood. So it's taking the blood that's done its job. It's just going through the, the rounds. Whereas the uh, carotid artery breaks up into the internal and external carotid arteries. The external carotid artery takes the blood from your heart up into your head and through your face. That's why it's the external artery. The internal carotid artery goes up into your brain and gives your brain the oxygen it needs and then it comes back down. So this ice skate travels up and slices him through the neck. It cuts the jugular and it nicks the external carotid artery, not the internal okay. one. The internal one is still good. And as a result, blood begins to pump out of his body and spill onto the ice. Clint reaches for his throat by instinct, but it's not until he removes his helmet that he sees the amount of blood rapidly exiting his body when he realizes this is serious. Oh my gosh. Clint believes he's going to die, and he thinks to get off the ice, knowing that his mom was watching the game on television and didn't want for her to see him die on the ice. He instructs a manager to call her and to say that he loved her, and then asks for a priest to be present. By this point, the cameras cut to commercial break at the sight of the blood. As the gory situation develops, three players vomit. Oh my god. Eleven fans faint. Two fans have heart attacks from witnessing all of this. It's that graphic. And there's video footage for the morbidly curious. It's a lot of blood on the ice. Oh my god, this is so scary. It's like <laughs> it's like a horror movie. Yeah, yeah. The team trainer, Jim Pizzutelli, sees Clint and recognizes the seriousness of the situation. As a former U.S. Army combat medic, Jim comes to Clint's aid and inserts his fingers into the wound to pinch close the artery until the doctors can arrive on scene to treat the wound. How awesome is that? Is this guy, <laughs> what is this guy's position? He's the team trainer. For the most part, he kind of like massages and helps them relax, gets them in working order. Uh, I think he had a model, a phrase saying that players should be hurt when they play, but they shouldn't be injured when they play. So he's helping them to stay in top condition, yeah. massaging stuff. Yeah. How yeah. awesome is that, and, though, that that guy knew that, like, an angel put in... Right. How many other team trainers can claim or can, can have army combat medic experience? Exactly. Or any type of, you know, medical uh, trauma training and, and to recognize and respond in that situation. He was... I'm pretty sure if he wasn't there, Clint would have yeah, died. Yeah, he was total angel and dropped so. on his doorstep, mm -hmm. essentially. And there's footage of this, too, of Jim skating over and, like, boom, putting his hand on Clint's neck. You can see this happen. 
Clint tells Jim he's having trouble breathing from how hard Jim is pinching. And Jim responds, it's either this or death. Jim gets Clint off the ice where he kneels on Clint's collarbone to keep an extreme amount of pressure and to force Clint to slow his breathing. When the doctors arrive, Clint is taken to the locker room to be treated. The doctors clamp down on his neck as they work on him. Clint has to inform the doctors that he can't breathe. The doctors ask if he needs a breath. Clint gives them an affirmation. He's nodding, he's saying yes. The doctors release his neck. The blood continues to spurt out of him as Clint catches his breath, and then they go back to clamping down hard on his neck. Once he's stabilized, Clint is then rushed to the hospital. He jokingly asks the paramedics if they can bring him back in time for the third period. <laughs> Spoken like a true hockey player, man. I mean, <laughs> my family, we're a hockey family, so I definitely know. Yeah, these guys are brutal. Tough, yeah, talk they... about tough. Yeah. They'll lose a couple teeth or, or whatever is going on, and they'll get back on the ice. Spread it out and yeah, keep going. Yeah, exactly. Once at the hospital, Clint receives about 300 stitches to repair the damage to his jugular vein, his carotid artery, and surrounding muscle and tissue. He's lost about 30% of his blood, and he's informed that had his inner carotid artery been nicked, there was a high possibility he would have died on the ice. After 10 days in recovery, Clint returns to playing hockey. What a brutal, like, strong guy, man. <laughs> Jesus. Again, the footage is very graphic. It's, it's blood on ice. Uh, it's very obvious blood on ice. They, like I said before, they had to cut to commercial breaks. I mean, I think there was even something about, like, the live commentators having to, like, try to talk through the situation and talk away from it. But they were so unnerved and shaken by it that it, it wasn't a smooth transition. <laughs> You know, let's go over to Jim in the studio. Like, it wasn't that. <laughs> it wasn't that easy for them. In, in my uh, researching of this story, I found a TED Talk that Clint did, and it dives deeper into kind of the surrounding circumstances at an emotional and mental level. I won't, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to get too much into it because go watch the TED Talk, <laughs> I'd say. Uh, yeah. It's better if you just watch it from his own I words. I could definitely uh, find a link and link our social media yeah. to that so that they take a cool. deeper dive into that. Cool, cool. He talks about how throughout his life, he battled with depression. He didn't grow up under the best of circumstances with his father, and it led to uh, depression and alcoholism. And then this event happens, and he, you know he tries to shrug it off, Ten days later, he goes back to playing in the ice. His performance was not as good. He ends up retiring from playing hockey, and he becomes um, a team manager instead. And even then, uh, he retires from that. And I believe he was a horse therapist? No, horse dentist. He was a horse dentist. He had a, he had a ranch out in Nevada, uh, he and his wife. And the depression gets to a point that it, it almost takes him. He, he attempts suicide by shooting himself in the head and he ends up surviving that Jeez. and uh his his wife tells you know uh I, I don't remember if it was the police or if it was the emergency responders that like my husband attempted suicide she didn't want to she didn't want to cover it up any longer like this we got to call it out what it is and it's only after that is when he starts to seek the professional help and 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 uh, the professionals tell him hey I think you might have PTSD. 
you know, like 20 years of undiagnosed PTSD. And initially he kind of blows it off. Like, no, 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 no. You know, I'm a, I'm a cowboy. I'm big. I'm strong. I'm burly. Yeah. I've got my problems, but they're not that bad. PTSD is for people who go to war. I've never been from the actual incident from that incident that I'm unsure of. Okay. I, I think that that's the right timing, but I, uh, I think the surrounding issue of like trauma from his dad being uh, abusive, him nursing his troubles with alcohol. I mean, he talked about it uh, in his TED talk where he said like, hey, you know, I think we've all been there where you have one drink to go to sleep and then one turns to two and then two, two turns to four. And at his worst, he was consuming 30 beers a day. Jesus. <laughs> wow. Yeah. He ends up having his moment where he realizes, oh my God, I think they're right. I think I do have undiagnosed PTSD. and he now talks about it. <laughs> That's awesome, though. So it's available on the TED Talk. He walks you all through yeah. the aftermath of this. Before, during, after. I believe he displays some image. He starts off the TED Talk with like an x-ray of his, of his skull with the bullet still inside of it. And I think there's some images as well of the ice skating incident. And um, it's a good talk. That's good to go over that, too. Because we don't touch on that enough is like the mm-hmm. aftermath of, you know, when you're faced with the survival situation and just like walking away from it and like, yeah. you know, the aftermath of it, just like we had talked about with yours, you know. Right. And it's good that you really do have like an insider knowledge into this, you know. Mm. Yeah. We don't notice or we don't see that people can mm-hmm. really suffer from that PTSD. We automatically assume you know, or connect it to somebody who's like been in like mm-hmm. what is a war type of situation. You know, that's what right. we equate it to or, or connect it to. But man, mm. there's so just even hearing these stories uh, gives me flashbacks of the stories and things like that. So I can't imagine being mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. a victim or like a survivor in these horrible situations and like walking away from it, like scot-free. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that would happen. Yeah. You, you don't get to just brush it off and bounce no. back, though you may try like I did. I 100% tried to do that, tried to pretend that happened. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the challenges we run into looking for stories like that, and especially the deeper back we go, that mental health wasn't anything that gets discussed about. Yeah, you're so right. Most of what we'll find will just be the physical event. Yeah. Oh, they survived. This happened to them. They survived. And da 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 end of story yeah and i i think we're, we're we're fortunate in this day and age to be aware of it now maybe not a maybe our our, our society as a whole hasn't embraced it fully and, and hasn't supported it or, or rather our, maybe our government hasn't supported that kind of discussion and funding and research and recovery for that kind of thing but we're now in the moment where we're aware of it we're talking about it more and clint did a, a, an amazing thing of being able to talk about it his personal struggles before, during, and after this ice skate to the neck incident. Crazy. Now, does he have any um, scarring too from it? Like from the actual? I don't know. That, that, it didn't come that up. That didn't come up. I mean, it's a six inch wound. It required 300 stitches. But internally for, you know, as well. Yeah. yeah, a lot of internal stitches. And it was about, well, it was 1989. So it's like, what, 22 years at this point? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's still a scar, but I'd, I'd, 
I'd accept that there's, you know, it's probably healed over by now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if anything, the, it's probably a, the, the a, a, a suicide attempt, uh, the bullet to the head probably still has some markings. That's so scary. Did you say yeah. 22 years? That's not 22 years. That's more, isn't it? That's 32 years? Yeah, because he said 1989. Oh, yeah, True, 32. that's right. This happened before I was born. I am 31 <laughs> at the moment. So, God, I am instantly 10 years old. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll get to my story. So that's awesome, though, that I, I definitely want to link, though, the TED talk to that, too, mm -hmm. so that we talk about or or touch on, you know, mm -hmm. like PTSD or, or what these survivors go through, too. So yeah. mine's totally short and sweet. Well, not sweet, but short story. Uh, mine's an old one. This was originally mm -hmm. when we started this whole podcast. I came across the story and I think you at the time came across the story as well. So, yeah, look at my notes. Oh, you got your notes. All right. All right. Good. This is your story. You, no, you, no. you tell it. <laughs> so I'm going to tell my story, but you're always, yeah. you know, you could always jump in. Yeah, we happen to do this exact same story. And then uh, we came yeah. and we set up uh, something in the future so that we don't tell the same stories. So <laughs> feel free to interject and, and add tidbits of notes and things like that. Mm. So my story today is about Jose Salvador Alvarenga. He went down, I would say, went down in history as a true survivor. So mm. now this takes us back to November, 2012. Uh, he was a professional fisherman and he embarked on an excursion and it was supposed mm. to be about 30 hours. So supposed to be a 30 hour deep sea fishing trip. So he was accompanied by a younger fisherman and it was Ezekiel Cordoba since his usual mm. fishing mate was unable to join him. Uh, Jose had been an experienced sailor and fisherman for years. Uh, they were at the Pacific coast of Mexico's southern state, Chiapas. Is that how you say it? Chiapas. So they were planning to fish that day for shark, tuna, mahi-mahi. Mm -hmm. And this was actually the first time the two had ever worked together before. Right. Now for the people who actually know boats, it was a 23-foot topless fiberglass skiff with the refrigerator-sized icebox on board to store the fish. So it was a pretty decent-sized boat. I don't know boats, but 23-foot, so. yeah. it was a decent size. It wasn't a rowboat. That's more than yeah. I had. I just put 23-foot skiff in the story. <laughs> so shortly after they embarked, there was a storm which damaged their motor, their electronics on board, and then... My thought automatically went to, and I don't know if you thought about this, but mm. why didn't they know about the storm? You know, because it was like almost immediately after they left, the storm hit. Mm. You mean they didn't like check the weather on the way yeah, out? Yeah, like but I don't know. Maybe, yeah. But you know what I was thinking? It, maybe that they knew the storm was coming, but they didn't know it was going to be this intense and maybe it intensified mm. from what they had originally saw. You know, so that was the only mm. thought process I could come up with. They had over a thousand pounds of fresh fish that they actually uh, had. During the storm, they actually had to dump all of the fish overboard. So they lost everything. Mm. Uh, they had to make sure that the boat was lighter so that they were actually able to maneuver the boat through the storm. Now, they were actually blown off course and this storm lasted five full days. 
So yep. talk about like never ending storm, right? You, you wake up, it's storm. You go to sleep, it's storm. <laughs> you wake up, it's still storming. I know, exactly. Well, I, I wonder if they even slept in this amount of days because they were fighting with the currents, they yeah. were fighting. And then, you know, it had to have been a dire situation if, you know, your livelihood and everything and you had to let go of all these fish, you know? Mm, so mm. it had to have been a really dire situation to even save yourself and maneuver the ship you had to let go of all the fish you know so right. this is the reason why we came out here and we've got to dump it overboard. Yeah. meanwhile jose's boss actually arranged a search party so he had coordinated that yeah. uh, on land but he actually called it off after two days uh, it was just such poor visibility everyone pretty much assumed that they had drowned because yeah it's a bad yeah storm. they couldn't find them so after five full days of storm uh, these two guys assessed their situation. They had no sails, no oars, no anchor, mm -hmm. no lights. I mean, essentially, it was the perfect storm. It was a piece of driftwood yeah, exactly. <laughs> that they were on, basically. They had no possible way to contact anybody, so that's when they began to drift into open seas. Yeah. Jose, at one point, did have a two-way radio. When all their stuff, you know, was down, he did have a two-way radio. He was able to call for help right before then as the storm was going on, but the radio batteries died. So essentially then they had nothing. So I don't know why yeah. they didn't have extra radio batteries. Now, back to nothing's going on. Just like you said, it's just driftwood floating in open yeah. sea. That's so scary to me to just like you know, just to be at the mercy of the ocean where it's taking you. So, yep. so Jose and Esquivel survived by eating raw fish, turtles, jellyfish. They drank rainwater when it did rain and turtles blood. That is so disgusting. Yeah. So uh, they would collect rainwater when it did rain. So they were able to, you know, essentially drink water when it did rain. And urine when it didn't. Oh, the urine. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so after some months, and then I, I put months, 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 like months lost at geez. sea, drifting at yeah, sea. Yeah, Esquivel became sick from eating the raw food. He eventually stopped eating because of this. He was just so sick, and eventually, yeah. all of this, you know, came to a head. He passed away from starvation. So, mm -hmm. um, after this. Of course, it was the lowest of the low point uh, for Jose. At some point, he contemplated suicide for days after uh, Esquivel had passed away. Uh, but he had a strong religious faith that kept him going. So during this time, he started mm -hmm. to have like vivid hallucinations uh, because he was essentially, you know, starving as well. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But he just kept his faith about him and tried to keep straight forward and he was trying to figure out what was real and what was not real you know sorting mm -hmm, through mm -hmm. that uh finally he spotted land in the distance and abandoned his boat to swim to shore which would end up being the marshall islands so two locals found him clutching his knife and shouting in spanish as the, <laughs> as the story spread worldwide, he was met with a lot of skepticism since he was the first person in recorded history to have survived a small on a small boat lost at sea for more than a year. Mm -hmm. So 
This dude was lost at sea for a year, folks. Over a year. Jesus Christ. So can you imagine just like, yeah, over a year just sitting out and drifting, you know? And you know what made me think of this, too, is the hallucinations, you know, that he was having. Mm -hmm. When he finally saw land and an island, I would question if that if I was seeing right, you know, because Mm. I I would kind of feel like I might've been hallucinating again. And I would be so scared to take off on the boat, like your only safety, you know, to get to expend that energy, that time yeah, to essentially get to an Island that might not be there. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So of course, you know, he was met with a ton of skepticism. A lot of people thought, that this couldn't have been true because somebody can't live, you know, out to sea for more than a year. From all accounts, I mean, I don't see how he could have been lying. I don't see where he would have been, you know. Right. Uh, They figured he drifted around uh, 5,500 to 6,700 miles and was out to sea a total of 438 days. But he survived. Yeah. And he was went back with his family, so he actually even uh, wrote a book and was interviewed a lot. Yeah, his strong religious faith kept him going, and the yeah. fact that he would see someday see his family again, and that's what kept him going. So, yeah, I had down some additional yeah, notes if I go ahead. Of he talked to, uh, I have down as Ezekiel. I, I had down notes that he Jose spoke to Ezekiel's body after uh, Ezekiel's passing, um, it's just sort of have some kind of companionship. There was also some controversy. You know what controversy yeah, I'm, go ahead. I'm talking yeah. about? Okay, do you want... Oh, okay. oh yes, um, yes, I do know about that. Should we talk about that? Do, we, do you want to? I don't, I don't necessarily... Like that he might you know, have killed him? A step beyond that. Oh, and ate him? <laughs> yeah, that part. I don't think there he were... did, though. What do you think? I don't know what happened, and I don't. If he says he didn't do it, I'll take him at his word for it. I mean, I'm not. I'm. I don't want to be the guy who's quick to point at cannibalism. (laughs) (laughs) I'm no expert. I was never there. I don't know anything about this. He says he didn't do it. Then why? Why wouldn't I believe him? I didn't see you know pictures of Ezekiel's body. What What I had heard from from his accounts was he was talking to Ezekiel to try to you know. get through the situation have some kind of companionship so that he wasn't completely alone i think he considered it but then said no 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 that would be really bad for religious purposes and then i had down a moment where he he, he kind of thought what am i even doing talking to this dead guy and he like pushed him overboard or something just to try to clear his mind he didn't just have this dead body on the skiff with him for the rest of his journey yeah I also had down that when he made it to the Marshall Islands, he was found with unusually low blood pressure and swollen ankles that made it difficult for him to walk. And after about a week, his condition deteriorated and he had to be treated intravenously for dehydration. And it took about another 11 days before he was healthy enough to return to El Salvador. But he was diagnosed with anemia and he developed hydrophobia and had difficulty sleeping afterwards. Yeah, I can just imagine. This was not a walk in the park by any means. Yeah, yeah. I'd imagine, too, he didn't go back to fishing after this. 
probably not. I mean, we, we had a similar situation with, um, oh, what was his name? Uh, the man in the, um, the boat that uh, capsized. flipped yeah. over. Capsized, thank yeah. you. Harrison, Harrison, Harrison O'Kenny. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. He swore off uh, the ocean. Uh, he, he, you know, he's praying, making promises. Hey, if you save me, I will not go back to the ocean. I will not get out on sea again. I mean, it, you know, I, I guess in another sense, when the ocean becomes your prison, why would you want to go back to oh, it? Oh, yeah. Your instinct would not, would not, would be to not go back yeah, to it. Yeah, exactly. At that point, that's when you uh, move away to Kansas and you never have to see <laughs> right in the middle of the United States so you never have to see another ocean ever again, right? I'm I'm moving to the desert. Yeah, <laughs> Goodbye. Exactly. Yeah, nice Arizona, nice dry desertish area. So um yeah, I don't think I would be going back to the ocean, I'll tell you that. If you lived on there a year, like a year is long enough, yeah. you know? It, it it makes me think of um the uh, Tom Hanks movie Castaway. He had an island. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it was, if I recall correctly, the, the plane exploded. He landed in the ocean. He, he swam over to an island, and then he lived. The majority of his survival story—I don't remember if that's based on a true event or not. I don't think so, but it was a great uh, story, though. Yeah, and I think it captures a lot of uh, struggles that you have to deal with. There's this moment—not to make this about Tom Hanks no, now in, in a movie—but yeah. but there's this moment where he's trying to salvage supplies and. Uh, I believe there's like a, a pilot of the plane, his body like washes up and, and Tom Hanks considers taking the guy's boots and shoes. And I think he ultimately he does uh, with a lot of hesitation. He, he you know, he, he takes the, the, the shoes off of this pilot and then he gives him like a, a proper formal burial. He he ends up crafting himself a companion in, in the Wilson volleyball you know, uh, he's, he's marking days as they go by. He's having full on conversations. And, and there's that memorable scene where when he makes his attempt to leave the island on the raft with his supplies, Wilson, the volleyball goes overboard and he has this, this, this meltdown. Wilson, Wilson, no, you know, to you and I, it's just a volleyball, but it to him, everything. this was his only, his all of his companionship yes. over the past however long he'd been gone i don't even remember it was i like think a it year was years yeah his wife like moved on and remarried and had kids yeah. yeah so it was years yeah so i mean but yeah it, it sounded so stupid like you're like it's just a ball yeah. you know but then like you always get teary-eyed at that at that yeah. scene because you're like dang he's so desperate like he mm. wanted that you know wilson so much like the companionship you know and just mm. like you know jose i'm sure he wanted the companionship so much just to keep his friend around a little bit longer you know just to like hold not on to, to it be alone in a situation yeah exactly like not to be geez alone mm. in that you know and um you know there's so many things like i you know you always try to put yourself in these situations you're like I don't know. I don't know how mm -hmm. people dig deep, you know, and they, they mm -hmm. like find mm -hmm. religion and, and find, you know, things to talk to. And I mean, I think that would be me. You would have to find some companionship in something, you know, yeah. like some kind of for your own mental. Yeah, sanity. exactly. Some, some, something to console or, or, or take care of in a sense outside of yourself, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Or, or and then something to talk through. You know, like when you're in mm-hmm. situations like he did too. Like Tom Tom yeah. Hanks would talk through the strategy of how he's gonna get out. You know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he was talking to Wilson. But I mean I think you almost have to say things out loud to get out of your own head to strategize and stuff like that. Yeah. I I was um I was recently thinking about this movie that I really enjoyed uh, from a few years back based on the book. It was called The Martian. Did oh you ever my see that God. One? Is that not the best oh, movie good. ever? I love yeah, it. Yeah, it and, is a great and, movie. And, and in a similar regard, uh, his character was, was making these recorded yes, video logs. Exactly. You know, journaling, uh, talking to someone who he didn't know if it would ever be found or discovered. You know. Yeah. But he had to make those like connections or, or say it out mm-hmm. loud, you know, like say mm-hmm. his strategies mm-hmm. out loud and stuff like that. That was a great movie, though. Yeah. One of the uh, best. I, I, I love it. I, I something that really stuck out to me in that movie was the way he it's fictional. Sure. How, how he handled his fictional uh, situation was to break it down into smaller and smaller problems and to yes. attack each of these problems that you know do what you can one piece at a time keep moving forward don't get caught up don't get lost in the big picture of things do what you need to do that will help you survive now make it an hour make it a day make it a week keep moving keep going keep moving forward what great advice break it down each day (laughs) i mean yeah and i think you know jose had to do that and it's all these survivors a lot of them had to do that, like deal with what is right now. You can't always think of the bigger mm-hmm. picture, but what is right mm-hmm. now? It, it takes me back to, man, this was quite a while ago. Did mm-hmm. we even, I don't even know if we put that one out, but it reminded me of a story though about a hiker and she had to put herself in a better area to be seen. Or even just like in your case, your own survival story, you had to put yourself in a better area to be seen. So that was your objective yeah. for right now is get yourself in an area where you can be helped, you know, like, I think that was Amber. Yes. I correct. Think was, uh, You're right. She, she like fell over the cliff into the ravine and yeah, she had to, she climbed up and yeah, she had to climb up in an area. The helicopter couldn't get to her. She had to climb back up and assist herself in her own survival, active survival yeah, in her own rescue. Uh, exactly. And so did you. Too. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, telling myself you had to get to uh, an area where people are able to, you know, access you, right? The door is locked, Andy. Even if anybody heard your cries for help, they couldn't get to you. You need to get out of the restroom yourself or you need to die somewhere more publicly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's some morbid, but yeah. So <laughs> making yourself public or accessible. Because, you know, I, I didn't want to be a bother on the people who had to recover my body. <laughs> You're you're so morbid. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry I died here. <laughs> yes. You're horrible. All right. Well, I think that's our episode for today. That one was a shorter one for the most part. That was mm-hmm. an incredible story about um, your hockey player. Jose and Clint. Yeah. yeah. My God. And Jose. Jesus. Uh, talk about like, you know. 438 days drifting at sea out of supplies no communications no equipment your one companion who you didn't even know that well to begin with you've never met or worked together beforehand you're stuck out there together and then he dies yeah leaving you alone 
Uh Talk about, you know, the perseverance of both guys. Mm -hmm. And I definitely want to link Mm -hmm. that TED talk because I think it's important, you know, for everybody. Yeah, for everybody to see, you know, just people's thought process and and how they work through everything after that. Mm -hmm. So that'll be awesome to his TED talk about that. If you have your own survival story, we would love to hear it. We would love to share it. You don't necessarily have to share your name if you don't want to, but you can always send us the story to info at theyactuallysurvive.com. If you have even comments about any of the stories or want more information or want to add in more information that you've come across or anything like that, you could always email us as well. Uh, you could always follow us at They Actually Survived uh, through Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Uh, We got everything. If you want some of the episodes or you want to share episodes and your friends maybe aren't into podcasts, you could always direct them to our website that has all podcast episodes. Uh, Theyactuallysurvive.com. So anything else for you? Yeah, uh, I'll I'll chime in. You you don't even have to share your own story if that's not your thing. If, If you've stumbled upon a story that we haven't quite covered yet and you'd like us to try to, you know, give it a stab send it our way you know we'll take a look at it we'll, we'll see what we can what we can uh pull up on it and, and you know, give it some justice and give it some some airtime, uh, give it a little highlight and aside from that never forget that you too can actually survive thanks guys <laughs>